Quatu Ferrata Nectar. Okay. All right, so uh, take two on uh, trying to do our first episode. Yeah. So we recorded a whole episode last night and then found out only seven minutes of it recorded. So that's how we're starting this. You got to make mistakes to learn. Exactly. Exactly. So this is Don't Touch That, It's Haunted. Um, a podcast where we are going to discuss all manner of spooky, macabre, and taboo subjects, basically the things that you're not supposed to love. My name is Grace, and uh, with me this week is Adam. Adam, describe yourself. I'm the guy who's the host when she can't find anybody else. Exactly. (laughs) Um, What I want to do is I want to get a different person, like every week, um, but I'll use the same people periodically, whatever. Uh, but because of COVID, I think you're going to be it for a bit because you live here. So, <laughs> yeah. So basically, just kind of uh, as long as I can remember, I guess, I've just been into like spooky, weird, like Halloween's been my favorite day my entire life. Um, I'm really into uh, learning about murder and cults and all of that stuff. I, uh, I studied cults and serial killers in college, so that's near and dear to my heart. Um, so yeah, basically I just, I love talking about this stuff to people and my friends are getting kind of sick of it. Um, and how lucky are you, Adam, that you get a, you get to talk about it with me and I get to just keep pestering you. Yeah. I'm a very, very lucky man. <laughs> yes, yes, you are. And I will remind you that every day. So um, right now, as we're recording, tomorrow is October 1st, mm. which is the start of Halloween. Um, of course, spooky season has been happening for me since like August. And my Halloween decorations are already up. And I've been working on my Halloween costume since like March. But uh, what I like to do every year is I do a like a halloween movie sort of horror movie marathon where i watch one kind of like spooky scary like it doesn't have to be a horror movie um like last year we watched uh interview with a vampire and somebody was like that's not a halloween movie i'm like well it's got vampires it counts it does right and tom cruise and very scary individual who tom cruise (laughs) uh so yeah we're going to we're going to start that tomorrow. So I thought that um, if anybody wanted to follow along with their own, wanted some ideas for some good uh, Halloween movies, um, this would be a good time for that. So we're going to discuss some horror movies. And um, I kind of picked a narrowed down topic and Adam picked a narrowed down topic. And we're going to discuss those with you right now. So uh I love, 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 love knowing things about movies, like behind the scenes uh, facts and, you know, early drafts of stuff and um, stuff that was improvised and made it in and, you know, that kind of thing. So what I'm going to talk about today is horror movie moments that were real. Now, this is not, you know, it was based on it and they did it in the movie. No, these are things that happened in the movie that made it on screen. So, uh, yeah, are you excited? I'm excited. Let's, All let's right. Let's learn some things about some movies. Let's do it. Okay, so first up, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, which came out in, I think, like 2004, 2005, somewhere in there. Uh, stars Jennifer Carpenter, um, I believe is her name, from Dexter. And first of all, love to Dexter. That show is amazing. So, uh, 2005, thank you. So um, if you haven't seen it, uh, basically, it's it's based on a true story, as most of these exorcism movies are, I think. And uh, it's about a girl who, you know, she lived in this like small farming community. She was a good Christian girl, goes to college and she gets possessed as they do. This one's a little different, though, because it's set up as a court drama. So it's like, mm. yeah, the priest has 
is is on trial for not necessarily her murder but like what is it like wrongful death right and so the exorcism is just kind of like in the background of this uh so i'm gonna tell you right now about how amazing jennifer carpenter is because if you've seen this movie you know how scary she is she's like because you've never seen this one right? right okay she's scary and you look at it and you're like oh that's obviously cgi that's you know not real whatever wrong so uh when i can't remember if it was when she was preparing for the audition or if she had already gotten the role um but jennifer carpenter would just spend hours in front of the mirror making like scary faces like trying to look possessed because that's what she had to do um and apparently in her audition she did there's a uh, there's a scene where she does a silent scream which is basically like Emily's trying to scream, but the demon's not letting her. And it's really scary. And um, it was either the director or the writer said that that for him is what got her the role because she did that in the audition. It was just like terrifying. So basically, this movie saved so much money on special effects because there's the scene where she's in her dorm room and uh her boyfriend or male friend or whoever wakes up in the middle of the night and she's like all contorted on the floor and it's like scary contorted right well uh jennifer carpenter said in an interview that she looked they had a dummy that was like contorted and she looked at it she goes okay let let me see if i can do this and she did it that's impressive I know, especially it was with like, someone who's never done it before i know it's like oh my god it, it's like so unnatural and like really great so she did that then um my favorite i think there's a scene uh it's called the exorcism in the barn where basically they're doing the exorcism and she jumps out of her bedroom window it it's in a barn uh and so they're out there and they're you know they're they're saying all of the bible things that they need to say to her and she's like growling at them and at one point she just gets this horrible 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 look on her face when you're watching it you're like that there is no way that that is real that is real that is that is her face it's just i'm gonna see if i can't pull it up for you real quick because i can't even describe it like google it um exorcism of emily rose like barn possession or something so the crew was like coming forward and saying oh my god she's possessed like because it looked so real and she says she just remembers somebody saying you're mad at him and i'm showing adam right now Ooh, yeah. that's her face it's a scary face oh my god i can't even oh, it gives me the chills just thinking about it but yeah so uh basically that's all i have on that one is just she's a badass and she's committed to her craft and i applaud you madame um full method she actually went out and got possessed for this role. yeah exactly <laughs> that's commitment um, all right, so next up we have The Shining, um, which I I have mixed feelings about this movie. I like parts of it, and then I don't like other parts. And also the fact that Stephen King doesn't really like it is kind of off-putting to me because if the person that wrote it isn't a fan of the movie adaptation, I'm like, all right, I mean, you know, it, within like, you know, because sometimes it's like, reason. I mean, Stephen yeah. King has liked adaptions that have done different things. Absolutely. Um, all right, so basically, if you know anything about the production of this movie, you know that Shelley Duvall, right, that's her name, yeah, Shelley Duvall was tormented, just like horrendously by Stanley Kubrick, who he's like known to do that. He's kind of a shitty that's, human being. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to say that, but um, so yeah, he just like, he would just like verbally like attack her and you know, put these ideas in her head and just run her ragged, right? Um, and without her knowledge, he told the entire casting crew not to talk to her so that, like, she would be isolated. Which, like, if that's your choice as an actor, because, you know, mm -hmm. as your character, because, like, she's alone there, right? And so, like, I could see her being like, hey, guys, like, just leave me alone. Like, I want to feel isolated. No, he just straight up did this to her, right? Which I'm not really okay with. And um, so when in the scenes where she's just like breaking down, she's breaking down. 
And there's that really famous scene on the stairs where, you know, Jack's coming after her and she's got the bat and she's just like freaking out, right? That scene holds the record for the most takes of a single scene, I think still to this day. And uh, they did it 127 times. And like, it's a very high emotion scene. So can you imagine just having to do that over and over and over and over and being told that it's not good enough and like not knowing when it's gonna end. And like, admittedly, it, it did make the scene really great, but like, again, you can't do that to people. Um, so I don't know, I, I found this on IMDb. Oh, also I should say uh, a lot of the stuff that I'm gonna talk about, I learned on this uh, really awesome podcast that I listened to called Halloweeners. Um, and it's a horror movie podcast where they like dive into the movies um, really in depth. So okay. if you if you want to know more, uh, check that out. Uh, but anyway, so I got this on IMDb, so I don't know how reliable it is. But apparently uh, to get Jack Nicholson in the right agitated mood, he was fed only cheese sandwiches for two weeks, which he hates. Oh, yeah. So I didn't I didn't find any like real like news like, you know. CNN reports, right. you know, so take that, uh, take that with a, is it grain of rice or grain of salt? How grain of salt. Thank you. It's been a long day. Um, all right. So next up we have uh, The Candyman, which I love this movie. And this is another one you haven't seen, right? right. It's very, very well done. And you know, that I, I like the really artsy movies. Um. And this one does that where it's like, it's scary, but it's also very like beautifully done. And there's this uh, really beautiful like underlying score and the shots are just incredible. And so, um, all right. So Tony Todd, the amazing Tony Todd, he, so there's that, that iconic scene where he's got the bees coming out of his mouth. Right. That was all practical effect uh they used over a hundred thousand bees for that and uh these bees were bred specifically for this scene and they were um like 12 or 15 hours old so they're uh baby bees because their stingers aren't as big so it's right. not gonna it's not gonna hurt as bad it's still gonna hurt but right. they put a dental dam in his mouth because he's got these bees crawling out of his Right. right? It's just, oh, it's crazy to me. Um, so they put this dental dam in and he says, he can't remember for sure, but he thinks he was stung 26 times in his mouth. But he negotiated where um, every time he got stung, he would get $1,000 for that sting. That's so he made like, you know, $26,000, $26, which all right. All right. Yeah. And it looks cool as hell, right? Um, so also, Virginia Madsen is uh, who plays. Um, oh, what's her name? Helen. Also, really good in this movie. She was allergic to bees, and basically, she like told the director, who I think was a friend of hers, "I can't, I can't do this. I'm allergic to bees." He's like, "I don't think you are." Yeah. And she's like, "Pretty sure I am." So she went and like got tested, and she found out that different kinds of bees affected her differently. Right. And so basically he was like, all right, we just won't use wasps. <laughs> so um, they had an ambulance standing by and I couldn't find if she had gotten stung or not, but I mean, she just like laid there the whole time. So I'm hoping that maybe that was enough to like deter them. Uh, but she said it actually wasn't that bad once she kind of just relaxed her mind, but it took 45 minutes to get the bees off of them. And they use this like little bee vacuum, which is like designed for this. Right. So it wasn't like your vacuum sucking bees up. Um, and they just like with a hose vacuumed these bees off of them. And it took 45 minutes, which that sounds worse to me. That'd be rough. Allegedly, the director had uh, Tony Todd and Virginia Madsen take ballroom dancing classes so that their scenes where they're together, they've got this like romantic kind of chemistry. Sure. Um, because basically, so you you find out, or it's heavily implied that they were in love in a in a past life, or like she's a reincarnation of his true love, or something like that. Um, 
so yeah, I just thought that was kind of cool. And then she says, I can't find any confirmation of this anywhere else, uh, but she says that she was put under hypnosis and given a trigger phrase uh, because there's scenes where like he shows up and she's like in this, you know, like hypnotic state. And so she says that that's how they did that. Which, I mean, sounds like it could be legit. Yeah. Because if you watch it, like, she looks like she's in a trance. It's a real thing. Right. Um, ooh, I thought that this was kind of interesting. So they used a real uh, project in Chicago called Ca uh, Caprini Green, which at the time was the most dangerous project in America, I think. And basically, they needed the approval of the gangs to, like, be there. So in exchange for protection, they put actual gang members in this movie as background That's extras. Cool. That's really cool. And they didn't have any problems at all until the last day somebody shot their production van, but yeah. nobody was hurt. And so they were just like, all right, well, we're out of here anyway. So right. see ya. <laughs> the Exorcist. Now I'm gonna preface this by saying I have not seen this movie. Every year I say I'm going to when I chicken out, like I'm just, terrified of this movie and I, well, I feel like it's going to be one of those things that once I actually watch it I'll be like oh okay and I've probably seen most of the scenes that would freak me out anyway right, right? all right so uh a couple of things went wrong on this movie so there's a scene where uh Reagan's in bed and she's just like thrashing because she's possessed and in the scene she's like screaming make it stop make it stop it hurts whatever and everybody's like oh all right this little girl can act Turns out she had this rig um, that went like it, it wrapped around her like a corset and then the wires ran under the bed and there was like a stuntman pulling on it. Right. Um, so it would just like flop her forward and backward. Well, the strings came loose or something. It broke. So she's going back and forth. This thing is basically like crushing her spine. Yeah. And so she's screaming because it hurts like and they kept that in the movie, which I guess I get, like... Makes for a better movie. Right? Like, I understand. And it's not like they did it on purpose, whatever. Um, going off of that, though, so Ellen Burstyn, who, uh, I think that's how you say it, um, who plays the mom, there's that scene where Reagan slaps her, and she, like, goes flying back, and she cries out in pain. So I watched an interview with her where she says what happened was they had this rig on her, and uh, the guy would pull it, and she would fly back. And they did it once, maybe a couple of times. And she said th to the director, like, he's doing it too ho too hard. He's going to hurt me. And the director's like, it's fine. It's fine. Whatever. Like, we want it to seem real. And she's like, I get that, but he is going to hurt me. And so in front of her, he said to the stuntman, like, all right, go easy on her this time. She turns and walks away. And uh, he says, really give it to her this time, to the stuntman. Ooh. So the stuntman really pulls really hard and she flies back and hits her back and um i couldn't find anything written about this i had always heard that she fractured her vertebrae i don't know if that's true um but she did sustain a permanent injury because of that and she said that so she's screaming in pain and then the camera like zooms in and she said that pissed her off because obviously she's in actual physical pain and they're like "Ooh, this is gonna pay off this is gonna look so cool you yeah. know which again you use real things that happen by accident but that was not that Ooh, okay so the uh the scene where reagan projectile vomits all over the priest right they did that in one take because what happened was it was supposed to hit his chest and the plastic tubing misfired and it hit him in the face and so the look of disgust is actually really? a look of disgust. And he was really angry about that. But it looks so cool. Right. All right. So this is what interests me the most. Um, so there's a scene where she goes in for some kind of medical procedure. Um, again, I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know. So there's a radiology technician in that scene. And he was a real a real technician because the director saw him do this procedure one time or something and was like, hey, he looks good doing it. Let's just have him. Several years later, this man goes on to murder at least one man. Um, 
I think maybe he was accused of several, but never got convicted. I can't remember for sure. Uh, but his name is Paul Bateson. Um, and if you're interested on it, uh, learning more about that, they did a really good episode on my favorite murder about him where they, again, went really into depth on it. But like, yeah. people then came out and they were like, ooh, the exorcist curse is real. It made him do this, which like, that's just a crock. Like, you can't prove that. I can't prove that the movie didn't make him yeah. do it. I guess you're right. <laughs> I guess you're right. All right. So the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original. Um, again, I haven't seen this one. I'm really excited to. I'm going to watch that this year. Um, and recently we came into, uh, Adam does a lot of prop collecting now. And we got a piece of the house from the set. And then did we get, we got the asphalt, right? We got a piece of the asphalt from where Leatherface is like doing his chainsaw dance. So they're just tiny little pieces, but I think they're pretty sweet. Yeah. So, all right, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Now this movie is messed up how it was created. So this is in the seventies. So again, I haven't seen the movie. Um, there's a character named Franklin and he's a invalid. So he's in a wheelchair. And apparently, uh, Toby Hooper, the director, said that, told the actor that he wasn't allowed to eat lunch with anybody. He had to be isolated. He wasn't allowed to shower because I guess they had to be, like, either repulsed by him or just, like, didn't want him around or whatever. Right. And this was, like, motivation to do that. And normally I'd be like, all right but it was Texas in the summer. Like that guy had to have been uncomfortable not showering. Oh yeah. All right, going back to the heat. So the house was filled with animal bones and real roadkill that they found on the side of the road. And the cameras that they were using used like four times the amount of light. So A, it was already hot in the house because it's Texas. Um, there was no in air conditioning in the house. And then you've got these lights, which like you and I have both been under like stage lights mm -hmm. before. And that's awful when it's really hot. So I can't imagine like being in this tiny house under like production lights. It would have been rough. It would have been awful. So it, it got up to be like 120 degrees in the house and they're working 12 to 13 hours a day in this heat. Like that's just gotta be horrible. And in fact, one of the actors said that he got so hot and just tired that um, there's, there's a scene where they're like, gonna kill this girl with a hammer or something and the the grandpa keeps like dropping the hammer he said that he got so hot and so tired that he forgot that he was acting and he thought that they were legitimately trying to kill this girl that's terrifying I, could you imagine and then you snap out of it and you're like whoa well good thing we didn't kill her <laughs> good thing i didn't go through with that i think that this was the same actor but it might have been somebody different um he was a vietnam veteran and he said that filming those dining room scenes in that heat was worse than being in Vietnam, which I don't think he's saying that it's worse than war. I think he was just saying that it was like worse than spending all day in Vietnam and in that heat and rain and whatever. But like, that's a statement. Well, yeah. And you can't really like argue with the guy because you he, can't. He would know. Well, yeah, like, I'm not going to tell you that, like, you're incorrect. I've never been to Vietnam. So there's, uh, there's a part where they cut Sally's finger and then the grandpa, like, sucks on her finger. So the special effect that they had wasn't working the way that they wanted to. So they're like, okay, let's just cut her finger. So they actually cut her finger and this guy sucks on her blood. All right. It, and that's just, that's just unsanitary all around. You can't around. do that in 2020. You cannot do that in 2020. Well, especially with the COVID. With the COVID. Could you imagine? <laughs> oh, okay. I think you'll appreciate this. So I, I think it's um, the girl that eventually gets put on the meat hook. Uh, she, like, escapes before then. And Leatherface, like, lumbers out of the house and, like, grabs her and whatever. So the actor that was playing Leatherface, and I don't have his name here. I'm sorry. He had, I think it was a pot brownie. It was some sort of drugs for sure. And he either didn't know that they were going to film that night or he didn't think it was going <laughs> to hit him that hard. 
And so apparently if you watch this scene, you can tell he's a, he's a little unsteady. He's coming right. in a little hot, like, cause he's, he's stoned. He's stoned. Baked out of his mind. Which it was the seventies. Go you, sir. This is the kind of stuff that I, that I love and hate simultaneously. So they couldn't afford a special effects chainsaw or it wouldn't work the way that they wanted to. So they re used a real chainsaw with the chain on it. Oh God. And so they're like, three inches from these people with a real chainsaw. And I'm like, all right, I guess that's method, but like, that's very dangerous. Yeah. Again, I don't know that you could get it's away with 70s. that. Again, yeah. I don't think you could get away with that today. So there's a scene where one of the actors, he, um, he gets his leg like sawed into. So how they did that was they put this metal plate on his leg and then they put like meat and fake blood and stuff on top of that plate. And then, Put his pant leg on there so that when they cut into his leg with a chainsaw it's not hitting his actual leg well what happened was they they put the chainsaw to the plate basically and the guy like kept it there and everything was fine but the plate started heating up and the metal burned the guy <laughs> so it's like you're not getting cut with the chainsaw but you're still feeling right. pretty uncomfortable Okay, so all of these horrible conditions that they have to work through, and the actors were told that they weren't going to get paid until the movie made money. So, right, that's awful. like, so the whole time they're going through this, like, they've got that in their mind, like, I'm not even getting paid for this. Because you don't know if this is going to be a big hit, which, like, luckily it was, but, right. like, what what happens if the movie gets shelved? Like you never make any money off of this. Yeah, but they can still put down on their resume credentials. I mean, there's a lot. Right, and, but it's and like it's an actor in the '70s doing a, doing a horror movie. I mean, you're just you're just taking right. roles. That's true, but like still, that's that's a lot of uh, psychological torment to go through for no reason. All right, so the last one, and this is the one that I am the most excited to talk about because you know how much I love this movie and I know how much you hate this movie. It is The Blair Witch Project. I don't hate the movie. It just terrified me when I was a kid. <laughs> I lived in a freaking forest. Yeah. So this is a, and I'm talking about the original. I'm not talking about the remake that out, came out a couple years ago because you can't remake a movie like this, right? Because the reason that it was so great was A, because it was mostly real reaction. B, you had never seen anything like this, because I think that this was, I don't think it was the first found footage film, but it was certainly, like, the one that, like, catapulted the genre. Uh, the actors who, and again, this was, like, uh, I believe it was college kids that, like, the directors just put up, like, a posting, and they're like, hey, we're doing this student film or, like, independent film or something, and we're just looking for actors. So they weren't, they weren't told that the Blair Witch is completely made up like there's no basis in it it's not true so they went to this town to interview townspeople and they did they also weren't told that some of these people were like planted actors right that were told hey this is what the blair witch is this is what you're gonna talk to them about so they think that they're you know going into this town in these woods and that this stuff is actually may actually be real you know is rooted in something which I thought that that was kind of cool because then that made that a little more real that they believe it. Um, so basically what happened was the filmmakers were like, all right, we're going to drop you off in the woods where I think they gave them like walkie talkies or something we're like, we're going to tell you where to go, but we're just going to leave you out here. And they left them like, uh, I think it was like little canisters at certain checkpoints. And it was like, today, this is what's going to happen. And you guys are going to have this argument and you're going to talk about this horrible thing, whatever. But other than that, they were like, we're just going to leave you alone and you're just going to film and uh, we'll see you in eight days. So that doesn't sound too bad. But here's what happened. Uh, the filmmakers were out there tormenting them the whole time. Like at night, they would throw sticks or break sticks and throw rocks. And um, like they would, they would tell them to go in the wrong direction intentionally. So they were actually getting lost. And a lot of the scenes of them arguing about being lost is them arguing about being lost, which I think is pretty cool. So at, at one point you hear, it's like the middle of the night and they can hear children laughing. 
and the directors were legitimately playing like uh, crying babies and children laughing at like four o'clock in the morning just to try to freak them out. And it worked. Oh, so there's um, there's a scene where they're, they, they hear something and so they're running at night through the woods and you hear Heather scream, what the fuck is that? And that's like a real reaction because she looks up and there's a crew member standing on the hill wearing all white and a ski mask. <laughs> like in the middle of the woods, in the middle of the night, and they think that they're alone basically. Like right. how terrifying would that be? Yeah, that would not be comfortable. Oh my God. Um, so uh, there's another scene where they pass the same log and they realize that they've spent the whole day either going in a circle or like the Blair Witch has like done something to make them end up in the same place, whatever. Um, and they just sort of like collapse with exhaustion and they're just really frustrated. So the directors were telling them where to go, you know, and they intentionally led them in a circle without them knowing about it. So when they showed up in the same place, they realized we've been walking all day for no reason. Right. And um, it's also important to know that they were given less and less food each day to make them more tired and more angry. They're angry. Yeah, they're very hangry. So yeah, so they, they just collapse with exhaustion and because they're really just kind of done with it at this point. Um, so yeah, like all of that was real. It was real reaction. It was real fatigue. And it paid off, I think. Uh, so this was one of the first films, because this came out in 99. Uh, it was one of the first films to use the internet as marketing. And uh, they have a website that's still up to this day. I can't remember what it's because it's not just Blair Witch project.com or blairwitch.com because the new movie is using that now but it's still up there and you can find like the missing posters and the yep. folklore and uh there was actually a fake documentary made about the blair witch because they wanted people to think that this was real and again this was like the first found fi footage film so people thought that this was real footage that had been found and that these people yeah, you know had really died yeah mm -hmm. um I probably would have been too if my dad hadn't prefaced the movie with, okay, they're alive. It's fine. <laughs> Cause I was like 10, 11 when I saw this, I think. Right. This movie premiered at Sundance and they had like missing posters up and the actors weren't allowed to do like any press or anything at first. Cause they wanted people to, to think that this was real, uh, which I think it's real. It would be really hard to do that nowadays. And so I think that that's just really awesome that it was like this whole experience. It wasn't just the movie. It was believing that it was real. Right. It was believing like, so yeah. Um, oh, also at the time their IMDB pages said missing, uh, presumed dead. And their parents got actual condolence cards from like, <laughs> strangers being like, we're so sorry. Like, we hope they're okay. Like, so yeah, those filmmakers did their job. And also it made like 4,000 times what it costs to yeah. make. Cause it, it's it, a very cheap movie. Yeah, well, I think it costs like $60,000. Especially and when it, you're not spending too much money on food. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Catering is covered. <laughs> All right, well, that uh, that's what I've got for my movies. Oh, so ooh. I know, ooh. Ah, spooky. Um, all right, what are you gonna be talking about today? All right, let me get my handy dandy notebook out here because I wrote some notes. I did it the old fashioned way. Oh. He did, he only writes on like notebooks. I've got my notes all typed up in a Word document on my iPhone, and he's got a little notebook. Okay, so I'm gonna be talking about everyone knows the big villains of these movie franchises. Mm -hmm. We know Michael Myers, right. we know Jason, we know Leatherface. Now, I'm going to be talking about the heroes of these franchises. And these are heroes that not, aren't necessarily in all the movies. In fact, they can't be. That's one of the rules. Right. You can't be in all the movies, and the movie can't be about you. Be about you. Which is why Ash isn't on your list, right? Ash, Ash and Ash versus Evil Dead. No, the Evil, Evil Dead. Dead. Uh, Ash is not well, on it because it's all about him. Mm -hmm. uh, Ripley is not on it because the Alien franchise is all about her, with the exception of Scream. Right. I, I mean, basically. And Scream. See, Sydney was almost on it, 
but scream you can't have scream without exactly Sydney because yeah. it's always about somebody trying to kill her it's right just, it's someone different every time except in the tv show but that's not bad. <laughs> so now keep in mind that i uh when i wrote these there's gonna be some spoilers <laughs> so if you haven't seen these movies and i'll announce what movies oh yes from. also i should say spoiler alert on all of my movies yes <laughs> all right so the first hero of the uh the horror movie franchise that i'm gonna do is nancy thompson Ooh. from uh the freddy franchise the nightmare on elm street franchise all right okay because yeah she's in like two of them she she's into but her presence is kind of always felt because gotcha. somebody keeps moving into her house right and it's on the street and uh, you see your tombstone again spoilers <laughs> all right well so there's like what nine of those films there is most of these have a lot i yeah. try to go pretty quick i did do some in-depth information but i'll try to be relatively quick mm -hmm. um and also keep in mind that the plots are going to be focused on the characters, so I'm not telling the entire plot of the uh, of the movie because right that's... you want you want to go see it right yeah all right so Nancy Thompson she's a 16 year old child divorce mm -hmm. and you're gonna find there's a lot of similarities between these uh, these heroes right which and in the 80s that it wasn't a totally common thing yeah. for your parents to get divorced I think still so already you're starting off rough so she is the first to have nightmares of freddy and after her friend tina dies nancy deduces that the murder and the man from her dreams are connected this is where nancy begins relying on caffeine to stay awake and develop some mental illnesses insomnia and night terrors not fun no and you're addicted to caffeine apparently <laughs> um she discovers that she can pull things out of her dreams these horrible dreams that she's having after learning Freddy's origin and with all of her friends dead, so she's got nothing to lose now. Right. Nancy forms a plan to pull Freddy into the real world where she is finally or where she has laid booby traps. She finally defeats Freddy by taking away the energy she gave him and stripped him of her powers. So already she's solidified in like Freddy's little head. Right. So she does not appear in Freddy's Revenge, the second one. But she remains a presence as again a new family moves into her house okay so i've only seen um bits and pieces of the first one and then i saw that remake so when people move into her house that's what like so freddie's connected to the house after the no, first he's film really connected or... to the streets i mean the first okay. person he kills is tina but nancy's the is the same one or the first right. one to get the nightmares well because i know like the whole the whole plot line of the first movie basically is that the parents killed him so they're taking out their revenge by or yeah. he's taking out his revenge by killing their kids so kind of i mean a little bit but he's also a child predator so right he's just right kids just just not a good guy not a just good not guy. a good guy in nightmare on m street nightmare on elm street 3 i used uh so oh dream warriors already excited <laughs> She returns as an intern therapist at Weston Hills Mental Institution. She's at the top of her class and makes groundbreaking research on pattern nightmares. She is dedicated to finding a way to stop Kruger and take his active or track his activities and his targets. When Freddy starts attacking again, Nancy then prescribes Hypnosil, an experimental drug. Ooh. Which can That's be used, almost never good. Which can be used to suppress her dreams. She uses hypnosis to teach everybody in the mental institution how to use their dream powers. So we're getting a little. That's I've heard that that one's actually very good. Oh yeah. Um, she is fired though when hypnosil is blamed for a parent who slips in a patient who slips into a coma. Oh no. She and Neil. Also, I'm not gonna go backstory do backstory on all these characters. You're really just gonna get their names. Okay, <laughs> go watch it if you want more in depth. But she and Neil. Learn from an old nun about how to kill Freddy by laying him to rest. Nancy returns to Weston and joins the patients in Dream World to fight Freddy with their dream powers. In this fight, Nancy is tricked. Oh no. And killed by Freddy. But not before she saves Kristen, another protagonist, by stabbing Freddy with his own glove. 
Ooh, that's the way to do it. To solidify Nancy's hero status in the Nightmare mythology, in New Nightmare, which is actually, from what I read, it's really simple. Mm -hmm. like Wes Craven is trying to create Freddy in our world. Right. So this is about an actress playing Nancy. Ooh. And me, oh. And Freddy is attacking her and terrifying her. So that sounds pretty interesting. That sounds amazing. In New Nightmare, Freddy attacks actress Heather Langenkamp when he sees her as Nancy, the one who originally defeated him. So that's Wait, what. So Heather Langenkamp comes back in the movie yeah. as Heather Langenkamp. Yeah. I love when they do that. Well, that's what I think. Again, I haven't seen it. Right. And sometimes the word. If not, they are missing out on an opportunity. Well, it's Wes Craven, and he's kind of a genius, so it might be. I love Wes Craven. Um, Nancy's missing years are told through comics and literature, and she actually returns as a spirit creature in Freddy vs. Jason vs. Ash, where she reads from the necro Necronomicon to banish Freddy for good. She has an action figure and appears in several video games. So you can see why Nancy is a mm -hmm. central figure. Right. In the so that's kind of what we're going for. Also, one more role I didn't get over. They have to appear in at least two movies. and um, Like multiple medias. And, yeah. well, well, they don't have to be in multiple medias, but that does certainly help. Right. Because the final one is only in the franchise because right. it's a small franchise. Because uh, I don't, I can't remember if you explicitly stated this, but um, Freddy versus Jason versus Ash is a comic book, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's in the comic. Yeah. So in the comic, basically the story of Freddy versus Jason versus Ash Ash is uh, Sam Raimi was approached and asked if he wanted Ash to be against these two. And he said, mm -hmm. yes, but only if Ash would win. So they made a comic where Ash won. Right. Um, all right. Now, number two. This is my personal favorite. Personal favorite of my entire list. And I've done a Ooh. lot of research. And I even just okay. watched a fan film that he's in. Oh, yes. This is Tommy Jarvis. Now, get ready to learn about Tommy Jarvis. I am so ready. First appearance was Friday the 13th, the final chapter. I think this was like the fourth movie. Yes. So this, and obviously if his first appearance was in the final chapter, apparently it's not the final chapter. <laughs> it uh, made too much money for it to be the final chapter. Oh. I'll get on that. Oh. Minute. Once again, he's a child of divorce. Right. His hobby of making masks and makeup effects certainly won't come into play later. Of course not. When Tommy appears, or Tommy, when Jason appears and starts killing the teenagers neighboring across from him, Tommy is forced forced to fight for his life with his sister. He shaves his head to look like a younger Jason using that skill. Ooh! Finally, he kills Jason by slamming a machete into the side of his head, which splits his head when he falls. When Tommy sees Jason's fingers move, he picks up the machete and just goes at jason's body starts hacking away and, and that's the end of that movie oh my god and he's like uh 10 11 somewhere in there like at this point right yeah he's a young he's a young yeah. boy and fun fact about tommy is he's played by three separate act separate actors in the three movies mm -hmm. um okay in front of the 13th a new beginning the events of the last movie have taken its toll on tommy and we find him in a mental institution weird right <laughs> Which that seems to be a common theme in these movies, too. Eventually, he's placed in a halfway house. But guess what's happening nearby? Murder! Oh, my God. So Tommy just has bad luck at being right. placed next to Jason's attacks. Yeah. Like, he just had to, can't find a good place to move. Because it's not like Jason's following him, right? He just happens. Yeah, it just happens to be there. To be there. That's very interesting. Once again, he is forced to confront Jason, believing him to be a hallucination because Tommy's crazy. Right. In this movie, Tommy. I mean, as you would Tommy's be. Crazy. He's he's not a hallucination, and he attacks Tommy. Once again, Tommy is forced to kill him. But oh. this killer turned out to be a copycat named Roy Burns. Okay. So he's a Jason copycat copycat so we don't actually fight jason so jason's never in this movie it's just who we think yeah it's just roy, okay roy is dressing up as jason all right teenagers. he was like you know what this guy with the machete and the hockey mask so that's a good idea let's see what we got <laughs> i feel like i could bring a new light to this it's tragically too late for tommy's mind as the last wall of sanity crumbles he puts on the hockey mask 
attempting to assume the mantle. But don't worry. Off screen between this movie and the next, he's magically treated with you. Oh, good. So fun fact about that is mm-hmm. the writer or a writer or director or somebody who's involved in the making right. actually intended Tommy to be the next Jason. Like he intended, well, he basically wanted to leave it open-ended. Right. So they could continue the franchise if they wanted to. But whoever was in charge, Fox or whatever, they decided that they were done. They right. they didn't want to do it anymore. It, even though it was making money. They were... I mean, after that many, you would like... And this movie was not good. All right, and here we go. This is the this is this is the one where Tommy Jarvis really becomes a character, and the one where the actor Tom Matthews he actually is the one who who's this guy, but he never watched any of the uh, Friday the Thirteenth movies until right. he was cast. Which that that seems kind of odd to me because I could understand like um, if you're in like a remake of a movie, I'm, not wanting to watch the original. I just don't think they had not... interest in it. I know, but like you're playing a character that's already been established as being one. Well, and that's why they basically said, "Here, do research." So they gave him the movies, made him watch it, and made him do research. And he honestly thought he made a tragic mistake after watching the last (laughs) one because it was so bad. bad. And fortunately, fortunately, he ended up taking Tommy Jarvis and making that character his own. Mm Because now, when you think of Tommy Jarvis, you think of Tom Matthews, right? So, in Jason Lives, a more stable Tommy is ready to confront his demon. He wants to see Jason's decaying body and attempt to cremate him so he can never return. When he sees the body, though, he snaps. Okay. And starts attacking it with a metal pole. Now, this movie is also batshit green. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it sounds like... The pole attracts lightning that reawakens no! Jason. And guess what's worse than Jason? Zombie Jason. Oh my god. This is like, okay, I I understand that we're living in a world where anything is possible, but come on. Oh, oh yeah. So now, not only is he Jason, but he's right. now impervious to being shot point blank by a shotgun. Mm-hmm. But it still feels the impact. So it's just kind of like when someone shoves you, like, well, right. that's inconvenient. He also has a healing oh factor and supernatural strength. No. Okay. To make amends with his whoopsie, Tommy tries to warn the sheriff, but the sheriff recognizes Tommy and thinks he's just having a breakdown. Right. The sheriff thinks Tommy is the killer, and as Jason makes his way back to the campground, Tommy has a plan, and with the sheriff's daughter, so apparently he escapes at some point, he lures Jason to the very same lake the legend began. He chains Jason to a large stone, encircled in fire, and pops and part of his face gone from a bolt propeller blade. So I don't know how there's fire in the lake, so I need to watch this movie. Right. But whatever. Although Tommy is almost killed in this climactic battle in the in Crystal Lake, he is revived by CPR and exclaims, it's over, it's finally over, Jason's home. So that's the end of Jason. Okay. Until but the, there's like... Until the remake. So, yeah. So in the... Really? Remake, mm-hmm. So in the remake, I'm sorry, I don't think that that's true because then there's the Kane Hodder movies like I, Seven, Eight, Nine, well, Freddy vs. Jason. I'm so sorry. Go on. Yeah, I know too much. I'm so sorry. Go on. In the remake, they actually considered bringing Tommy back, but they wanted to create their own mythology. Right. So uh, again, Tom Matthews reprises his role in a fan film where he's an ambulance driver. It's just a small little cameo. It's kind of fun. But still, I love those where it's just like. The movie's not all about them, but it's just like this little yeah. nod, like, all right, dude, there you go. He is in several literatures, one novel explaining how we, how he got help when he almost became Jason. So we actually have an explanation. It's not magic. Right. Okay. Um, he also finished Jason off in Friday, Friday, Friday versus Jason versus Ash, decapitating him. So you can see how these two, right. Nancy and Tommy, came back in the comic mm-hmm. and completely finished off their version of Freddy and Jason. Right. Um, he's a playable character in Friday the 13th for the game. The game. He is the only character that can kill Jason, although it's a freaking gymnastic to uh, to do it. Is it? Yeah, because you have to have a girl that's alive so she can look like Jason's mom. And right. Tommy has to be alive. I mean, somebody has to die. Whole thing. <laughs> he also has a toy. 
toy statue depicting his underwater battle with Jason. Ooh. So you know you've made it if you have a toy. That's true. All right. Next one. This is the asterisk. Okay. So Grace and I have never seen any of the Hellraiser movies. Right. I'm. That's another one I'm really excited to watch this oh, year. Get, get ready for this. I'm very excited. If you thought the last Jason movie was batshit crazy, oh, just get ready. Well, I know, I know that this one's just very, very weird, very out there. Now, Christy is an asterisk because, again, mm -hmm. we just heard that she was a character, like a recurring character. So we right. were just kind of like, okay, so maybe she fits the mold. She kind of turns evil. So right. She doesn't really get it. But, uh, but I did all the research, so stick with it. So <laughs> She is at least in the beginning. She's a hero. Now, she's unusual because her first appearance was actually in a novella, The Hellbound Heart. Mm -hmm. So she was actually written before, and The Hellraiser apparently were books. Yes, by... Because uh, 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 they, were, they were books by Clive Barker, and I believe he also directed at least the first film. Yeah. All right. Now, there are a few changes when she's adapted to the big screen. You can look those up. I did not write them down. <laughs> now, she first appears in Hellraiser as the daughter of Larry Cotton and stepdaughter of second Julie, or stepdaughter of second wife, second wife, Julia Cotton. So again, divorce. Oh, no. Christy moved, or Kirsty, sorry. I, it's Kirsty. Kirsty moves to England to the house of old Uncle Frank Cotton, but decides to live on her own. She's walking by her parents' house when she sees Julia and a man walking into the house, believing to have caught Julia in an affair. Oh. She follows them to the attic. She then witnesses Julia attack the man and Uncle Frank, now a skinless entity. Oh, God. Who needs to feast on blood for nourishment, begin to eat him. The man tries right. to escape, and Frank discovers Kirsty. She He tries to attack her, but she grabs the Lamarchand box. Realizing it means something to Frank, he, she throws it out the window and escapes, only to collapse after grabbing the box. She wakes up in the hospital and believes she dreamt the whole ordeal until a doctor gives her the box. Toying with the puzzle box, Kirsty solves it and summons the sadomachistic. What is that word? Oh Sado, my gosh. Sadomasochistic. Yes. Yes. Demons, the Cenobites. Oh no. And their leader. Pinhead. Pinhead. Kirsty bargains and offers them Frank instead of her. She returns to her father's house and encounters Julia and her father, who claim Frank is dead, and shows her the body. This turns out to be a ruse. Oh no. In a horror movie, a ruse? Her father is Larry. Wait. What? Her uncle is Larry, who is actually dead. So Frank is dead yeah, that wrong. Frank used his skin as a disguise. Ew. He tries to kill Kirsty when the Cenobites appear. Frank accidentally stabs Julia to death. Accident, of course. The Cenobites then dismember him and turn to Kirsty. Kirsty uses the box to banish them. She tries to destroy it by burning it, but some demon picks it up and flies away. Hmm. Now in Hellbound Hellraiser 2, mm -hmm. Kirsty is. I'll give you two guesses, you only need one. Where is she? In London? She's in a mental institution. Oh, she's in a mental institution. <laughs> Maybe you do need more I'm so sorry. It's late. After being traumatized by the events of the last movie, she tells the head doctor and his assistant about the Cenobites and begs them to destroy the mattress her stepmother died on, believing mm -hmm. it to be connected to the Cenobites. Dr. Channard has been searching for the Marchand's box his entire life. He summons Julia from the mattress by having a patient cut himself on it. As he bleeds, Julia smells blood and she eats him. Yeah. There's a lot of cannibalism there. Kirsty asks, asks the assistant, Kyle, for help in stopping Dr. Channer. Dr. Jordan's plans. Kirsty plans to resurrect her dad using the Lamont configuration. Mm -hmm. Kyle has been killed. All right. Thanks for your help, Kyle. Nice <laughs> you. you know what? You showed up, buddy. Good for you. And then he got eaten by Julia. Kirsty, Dr. Channard, and another patient, Tiffany, are transported to the Cenobites' realm. Julia and Frank fight. Frank kills, Frank kills Julia. Okay. Kirsty and Tiffany are attacked by Cenobites. Kirsty shows Pinhead a picture she found in Channard's office, a picture of himself, showing that they were all once human. 
So all the Cenobites and Pinhead himself, they were humans. Oh, okay. Chandler re- returns to the, returns to his institute and goes on a rampage. Mm-hmm. Kirsty has Tiffany resolve the box while she uses Julia's skin to disguise herself. Lured, so weird. Yeah. Lured back to the Cenobites realm, Chandler tries to kill Tiffany, only to be fooled by Kirsty. Oh, killed yeah. by Leviathan. So he mm. was hanging out the whole time. <laughs> Just chilling in the background. With Janner dead, Kirsty and Tiffany use the box to return to Earth. All right. Those are the first two movies, and those are okay. the movies that are her big ones. Right. So okay. We, we leave her alone for a while. Mm-hmm. Which, again, is following the rules. Okay. It's not about her. Right. So we leave her alone for a while. And uh, we see her in the sixth installment. Hellraiser, Hellseeker. She has married Trevor Gooden, who is not a good spoiler. Oh, no. And supposedly died in a car crash where Trevor has amnesia from. As he tries to piece his life together, Trevor's past is revealed by Pinhead, who tells him that he repeatedly cheated on Kirsty and had conspired to kill her with a friend and the Lamarchin's box. Trevor's plan backfired. Oh, no. As after summoning the Cenobites, Kirsty proposed to give them five souls for her one. Pinhead tells Trevor that Kirsty had killed three of his mistresses, his friend, and that he is the fifth sacrifice. The tables have turned. Trevor is in the Cenobites' realm, and Kirsty shot him in the head while they were driving, causing the whole accident in the beginning. Okay. So, plot twist. Right. Last shot is Kirsty leaving the crime scene with a box, framing Trevor for the murders. So boom. Oh. Speaking of boom. Ooh. In the Boom Studios comic series. Nice segue. She becomes a Cenobite herself. A female pinhead, as pinhead that we know, becomes human again. So. Oh. She is in the comics. She is, does not have a toy. Oh, that's too bad. And that's why she has the asterisk, because she's not technically a hero. She is in the first two movies. She is. And then, I mean, even in the third one, again, I guess you can argue that she did what she had to do. Right. But becoming Pinhead at the end. Yeah. So. That kind of seems like a cop-out to me. But who am I? Who am I? Just a humble watcher of film. And you're not a reader of Boom Studios comic book series. I am not. That is true. All right. Now, this one is relatively new, mm-hmm. but he follows the rules. And I think this is one that most people won't think of when they right. think of heroes. And this one's going to be a little bit different because unlike the others, he doesn't have his own Wikipedia page. So, really? Mm-hmm. That kind of surprises me. Me too. Um, but like the others had a whole page and I could just read their right. story. So this one, I had to go through all of the movies that he's in mm-hmm. until I found him. Right. So it's going to be a little scattered because he's never the main character. Right. Um, and so you're going to get a lot of random names, but stick with me. This is from the Purge series. Dante Great Bishop. Movies. What? Great movies. Oh, yeah. Dante Bishop, better wise known as The Stranger, as he's credited for like two movies. Mm-hmm. Dante finds himself wounded outside the Sandin's house. Sandin is the family that we're following the first movies. Right. And that's uh, Ethan Hawke, right? Yeah. They kill Ethan Hawke way too much. I know. He's so good at it, though. <laughs> he's the, Sean, the next Sean Bean. <laughs> Who is also excellent at dying. Uh, the youngest son, Charlie, convinces his father, Ethan Hawk, to lower security and let the man in, holding him at gunpoint. In a chaotic moment, yeah, skip the whole thing because that's mm. the one we already know about. Right. In a chaotic moment, the stranger disappears in the house. A heavily armed group of masked teens arrive and warn that failure to surrender the stranger will result in invasion. They find the man, but decide not to turn them over. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they're good people. Right. And so they prepare to defend against the invasion. The gang breaks in. Many die. 
but they fatally wound James, or Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke. The neighbors then come and finish off the gang. Everybody's safe, right? Everybody's safe. Before the neighbors turn on them. Oh, no. And prepare for a ritualistic murder. As they're preparing, the stranger reappears. Oh, no. He shoots one neighbor dead and holds another hostage, forcing the neighbors to release the family. Mary, the wife, prevents the stranger from killing the rest of the neighbors, deciding to wait out the purge without any more violence. We've uh, we've got a guest. Our cat just jumped up on the table and scared the bejesus out of me. All right, sorry, continue. After one more scuffle, Mary thanks the stranger and he departs. <laughs> Come here, buddy. Come here. And he departs, leaving his gun behind. It's a whole thing. Mm -hmm. Now, in the second film, we actually explore more of the carnage of Courage as opposed to one location. We're in the whole city now. Right. Which I think is really a move by Purge. It really is, because what the first one left you wanting was to know how people were reacting, not just this family, not just mm -hmm. these strangers. Like, Now, we follow... No, we don't, we don't actually follow them. This is after I did research. Mm -hmm. So we meet an anti-Purge resistance group for a moment, led by Camarlo Jones and our friendly stranger... He's not too friendly to the Purge people, but... I, as you would not be, I suppose. They hijack the government fees to denounce the new founding fathers. Our main characters find themselves out on Purge night when eventually they're taken to a compound where upper-classers will bid on them to hunt. Because the rich like to kill humans. Right. It's a whole thing. The anti-Purge group then attacks the compound and kill the security forces. Liz, one of our protagonists, joins the anti-purgers. Not a lot of screen time for our hero, but he, you know, he's still a good guy. Right, right. In this franchise. Now, in the next film, Election Year, and this is one of the trickiest ones that I had to write down because, mm -hmm. again, it's not really about our guy. Right. And there's a lot of characters in this movie. So our hero is finally given the name Dante Bishop. Until now, he's, he's just, just a stranger. stranger. So Dante Bishop, so a candidate for the U.S. presidency and her bodyguard, arrive at his underground anti-purge hideout. Now, we just think it's a nice hideout, but we eventually learn that his group intends to assassinate the new founding father's leadership in an effort to end the purge. All right. Have you seen Electioneer? That's the only one I haven't. Okay. No. Oh. I can't believe I haven't, though, because I love that actress. Yeah, I, this made me actually want to watch it, because I haven't seen it. A large paramilitary group arrives in search of Bishop and Rowan. That's uh, that's our president. That's our leader. Mm -hmm. Okay. As Barnes and Rowan attempt to flee with other survivors, their ambulance that they decide to choose to flee in is hit by soldiers, and Rowan is taken away. Barnes leads the group and Bishop's team. So here's our guy. Okay. To a fortified cathedral where the new founding fathers will sacrifice her. The group arrives and the U.S. president, the current one, mm -hmm. is assassinated. A oh. shootout ensues and the congregation is killed except for Pastor Owens and Harmon James. Just names. Just names. Owens is caught by Bishop's group, but Rowan persuades them to spare, spare him. Now, from what it sounds like, she convince him to spare him because that would help her end the purge if she got mm -hmm. elected or help right. her get elected yeah we need to watch the movie to actually yeah know more. which maybe we'll wait until this election year is over because i mean <laughs> <laughs> uh the backup paramilitary forces arrive and tragically we lose our hero oh no his entire team is killed oh geez now we're not going to really go into the death of the end of the movie, but without right. his involvement, Rowan would have died and the purges would continue. Mm -hmm. So making his mark on the history of this franchise. So I think that right. the stranger is a very All right. worthy. Okay. Candidate. Yeah. So I would love to see um, a prequel comic series of 
this just kind of like a standalone yeah because i don't think again i have to watch all the movies i don't think we really get any of his history i think we just get not really we just know we it's at least heavily implied i don't think it's ever actually stated that he's homeless right um other than that we don't really know anything about him and he knows how to obviously use weapons so i mean right he could have like he could be a homeless vet that that's what i assume so i would love i would love for a prequel series now right uh, the purge of the series um ethan hawk actually returns so the purge of the series oh really mm-hmm, is a prequel so we could oh potentially God, we have to watch that we could potentially get him in that and that is my list of horror right. movie honorable mentions of course are ripley mm-hmm. uh laurie strode laurie strode sydney sydney prescott right and of all course right. all these just don't follow the rules yeah all right, that that was good. Yeah, I didn't think about some of those. So I told you, I did research. All right, well, uh, <coughs> I guess that's uh, that's it. That's our that's our first episode. Um, so something that I want to kind of do as we get more guests and stuff is I want to talk about something uh, spooky, creepy that's kind of in your life. It could be you know you just you really love horror movies. It could be. Uh, the example that I just gave Adam was that I have a pair of turkey feet in a jar on our bookcase, um, which is true. <laughs> um, so it it could be like a haunted thing that's happened to you. So uh, so give me give me something uh, spooky, macabre, taboo about yourself. The black cat. <laughs> we do have a black cat, and he is sitting by the microphone right now. <laughs> All right, so that's uh that's it. Um. As I said before, you're probably going to hear a lot of Adam just because with COVID, uh, I can't get my friends to come over to my house. So uh, our next episode is going to be the one that we originally recorded, um, but I'm going to record that one with my mom because Adam's already heard the information and I want to get real reactions and you can't react to, I mean, you can react to stuff yeah. you've already heard, but you know. You're not going to get the um, same jokes. Yeah. Like the so, reverse yeah. Santa. Like the reverse Santa. And, now and you'll never know never what the reverse Santa is. I'll throw it in. I'll throw it in. But uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about um, the Jersey Devil. So tune in for that. You can follow me on Instagram at don't touch that it's haunted. Um, you can email me at don't touch that it's haunted at gmail.com. There's no spaces, no, uh, what do you call those, apostrophes, none of that, straight up words. Straight up words. So, yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, that's it. I don't really know how I want to end this, so. Just remember, yeah. don't touch that. It's haunted. It's haunted. <laughs>